can you grab that bag out of the car? That's what I said to my new bride as we arrived to the hotel for our honeymoon. 19 years almost ago that happened. I asked that question to my wife. That simple, innocent question. Her response shocked me. That's a man's job, she replied, as if I didn't understand my gender assignment and my role in the marriage. You see, she was raised in a home where her father always took care of the luggage, and she and her mother would always go into the hotel to check in and take care of that. I grew up in a home where everyone would help unload the luggage, and we would all go into the hotel and check in together. Neither of these is really wrong, just different expectations based upon different experiences. That was one of the many differences that I learned that my wife and I had grown up with. You see, most of the tension in relationships originates from unmet expectations. Our expectations are shaped by our experiences. They're shaped by the environments that we grow up in. They're shaped in the realities that we come to think as normal. And we think that based on what we've experienced, our things that we deserve, the things that we're entitled to, the things we're owed, or the things that are just normal and the way it's supposed to work, we have all of that framed by our expectations. And when we get married, we put that onto the other person whether we mean to or not, because it's just our reality apart from that person. So when we get married, we think this is just how relationships are supposed to work. Whether it's you expect to have a clean house 24-7, whether you expect to always have perfectly balanced finances, or 24-7 availability for intimacy, or unity on how to raise the kids, or frequency of in-law visitation, or unity on how often we can hang out with friends, and the list just goes on and on and on. And we don't really consider a lot of these things before we get married because we just think everything's going to work out. It's all going to be fine. We're never going to fight. We're in, too much in love to fight. And we have these fairy tale expectations of how the other person is going to meet my need. The foundation of our expectations, though, is truly the key because this is where most of us start with these two little words, these really dangerous words. And those words are, I deserve. That's where most of our expectations are built from, is what we think we deserve. Because we follow it with statements like this, well, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to have a new car. I've been driving this old clunker long enough. I deserve to get some me time because I've been giving so much of myself away to everyone else, or I deserve to do whatever I want, whenever I want, because I'm the one who works the hardest, after all. I mean, I, should des I deserve to be able to spend money however I want. And we think that we deserve our way because it has been the pretty much experienced normal pace for us, or because something more dangerous, that we believe that we're good and that we deserve good in return. You see, we put these expectations on another person, and whether we want to or not, whether we mean to or not, and we expect the other person to meet these expectations. Most of the time, we don't even share and verbalize those expectations. 
We just expect the other person supposed to know that this is how it goes. This is how the gender assignment works. This is how the role assignment works. This is how uh, we're going to operate, navigate things as a husband and wife. And when those expectations aren't met, all of a sudden the fairy tale, uh, you know, is over. And the, uh, all, all of the whimsical thoughts that we had about one another and what life was going to be like before, they just poof into thin air. And we, you know, we express, shall we say, our displeasure with one another because we think that we're supposed to have things a certain way. And when it doesn't go that way, we often react really, really poorly when our expectations are unmet. But it's because we entered into the relationship with these fairy tale expectations of how we're to be treated, how we're to be viewed, the type of authority that we exact, the type of decisions that we make um, apart together, all these things. And it's very difficult because most of us are focused on what we think we deserve. And that builds that, that idea that we expect things to go our way. But the gospel does something. And this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel shifts my focus from what I think I deserve to what I've actually been given. Because most of us will actually miss what we've been given because we're too focused on what we think we're entitled to and what we deserve. And so we're so busy putting that on someone else and expecting that from someone else that we miss what we actually have in the gift that our spouse truly is. We miss the gift of who they are because we're too busy trying to get them to change. We're trying to get them to conform, to be more like what we think they should be or who we think they should be instead of appreciating the natural gift of who God has already made them to be. Let's go to Scripture with this over in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start off our time together by reading verse 1 through 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 14. The Apostle Paul says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however talking about those who are Christians, those who are Christ followers. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. In other words, if you're legit, you're not of the flesh, you're supposed to be walking in the Spirit. He says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He's saying here that you are alive in spirit in Christ, even though you're living in this flesh that is rotting, that is eventually going to pass away. But if that spirit of Christ dwells in you, he will even make alive your mortal body because of that spirit that lives in you. In other words, that is a key verse to remind us that Christ is coming back and that the dead are going to be raised to new life and we will receive new bodies because of that spirit, just like Christ when he was raised from the dead victoriously. That same spirit dwells in you and he has made our spirit new and he will make our bodies new as well. That's that promise of that hope of eternity that we have with him as well as that resurrection uh, from the dead to be raised a new life with Christ both now and forever. Verse 12, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, we don't know the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh you will die. But if you live by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Man, such a powerful passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. I, I, there's so much in there that we could just dive into as we read Romans chapter 8. But here, verse 1 through 14, he kicks this thing off by letting us know we don't live under condemnation. And then he further explains how because we're made new in the Spirit of Christ and His Spirit now dwells in us, we've been made alive again. Who we were died. It's that, that symbol of that baptism, of, of, of death, of the fact that when we are baptized, our old man is in that watery grave. And as we pass through that water, that Spirit of God now enters into us. And now His Spirit dwells within us if we truly are in Christ and He is in us. And He lets us know here that that should change things because now, even though we live in the flesh, we're not obligated to the flesh. That means that you can't make the excuse, the devil made me do it. That means you can't make the excuse, oh, it's just my flesh, oh, I just, I, I, it's just the old man. No, we are told to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's not something that we can just get by with or get away with or make excuses for because you and I are called to a different standard. We're called as people made alive in Christ to now have a new identity in Christ and now we're walking after the things of God and the things of the Spirit, not after the things of the flesh because we know something about the flesh. We know that our flesh is sinful. We know that our flesh is selfish and that it desires only to get its way. And we know that when the flesh's expectations don't get met, the flesh is not happy. When we don't get our way, man, we are not happy. But if we are in Christ, that's not who we are anymore. We are different. We are made new. We are made alive. So now, it's not about me projecting my expectations on my spouse in order to get my way, that's the old man. That's living after the flesh. Man, that stuff's supposed to have been crucified with Christ. That, those deeds of the flesh are supposed to have been put away. So now we're walking in newness of life, not obligated to thinking that way, not obligated to behaving that way, not obligated to selfish behavior. But rather now, we have an obligation to the Spirit. 
We have an obligation to Jesus to where now we're following Him and we're growing in Christ's likeness and godliness and Christ's likeness is coming out of us because He's in us. That is a huge difference because now it's not about what someone else can give me or what I expect from them. It rather becomes me walking after the Spirit because I am a son or a daughter of God. The self-focused person sets their minds on the things of the flesh. The person that's only interested in what they can get out of the deal, the person that's only interested in what's in it for me, when they think about marriage, they're weighing the pros and cons, going, am I going to enjoy my life? Am I going to get everything I want? And they're only thinking about pleasing self. They're only thinking about gratifying their flesh. Whether it be this person's going to meet all of my sexual fantasies or whether this person's going to make all of the, uh, the, the meals in the home or whether this person's going to provide this wonderful life for me where I don't have to do anything or whether this person's going to pick up after me and be my mom or my dad and take care of all of the things that I need taken care of or this person's going to be this amazing human being and I'll never have to ever wonder or worry about anything ever again. We put all these hopes all these expectations onto other people, and that's just us thinking about ourselves. And we're putting a standard in place, an unhealthy expectation of what this person that we're actually called to love and walk in unity with and serve and cherish and grow old with, we're, we're just looking for what's in it for me. And if we start there, if we start with what we deserve, if we start with what's in it for me, then we are going to start off our marriage on rocky ground. And there's a lot of things that I think are healthy for people who are going to get married. If you are an engaged person or someone who's dating or if you're a single person hoping one day to be married, I would encourage you when you begin to have serious talks with someone that you feel you could marry, you need to have serious talks about your expectations in life. You're not going to get them all. You're not going to exhaust this conversation because I promise you, no matter how great of a job you do trying to clarify expectations, when you get married, you're going to find out that there are things this person expected and that they thought were normal or they thought you would just do or that would come natural to you. Uh, and, and you're going to learn, oh, we didn't talk about that one. Oh no, did I just marry the wrong person? And the answer is no, you didn't marry the wrong person. You married someone different than you. Praise God, because guess what? You're not that great. I'm not that great. It's not that we're this wonderful person that our spouse is so lucky to have been selected by us. No, no, no. We're not great, man. We're people who are prone to sin. We're people who are prone to be selfish. But we are people who are also striving to walk after the Spirit and not gratify the flesh. And if we're doing that and pursuing Christ together, Man, we got a lot to learn from each other, and we've got a lot to learn from what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us, from what the Word is trying to do in us, because the Word helps to renew our mind. It washes our mind, because you and I came into this deal thinking one way, and we're learning, oh, wow, you mean you do that differently? Oh, wow, you, you think differently in that area? Yes, have as many conversations as you can before you get married. It's, it's important. You need to figure out what are those non-negotiables. You need to have those conversations for sure. What are the non-negotiables? And you need to list those things, and you need to have those conversations, and you need to ask other people who've been married for a long time successfully that follow Jesus what they think 
should be questions you should ask as well. But at the same time, man, you're not going to get all those questions answered. You're not going to have all of those hard conversations up front. You're going to miss some. And uh, when you stumble into those areas or those expectations, there will be a temptation to feel like you made a big mistake in marrying this person. But it's not that you made a mistake. It's just you're different. And you have to learn. And you have to learn how to compromise. You have to learn how to walk together. You have to learn that it's not about you. You have to learn that you're actually called to love and serve and not just seek after your own desires getting met. Because if you do, you're going to miss what you've actually been given. You're going to miss the gift that is your spouse. Because if you just want to manipulate and control and transform them into who you want them to be, then you're only interested in your own self. You're not interested in learning who they are what they like, what they dislike, what's important to them, what matters to them. And when you spend time listening and learning, it becomes actually a joy to actually discover one another more and more as you grow older together. That's the beauty of marriage is that you get to actually learn more about one another. You get to learn how to serve one another. Uh, it's the same exact mirrored relationship that is actually uh, supposed to help us see our relationship with Jesus. The longer we walk with Jesus, the more we learn Him, the more we know Him, the more that we become grateful for Him, the more that we learn how to please and serve God and, and how to fellowship with God and how to tell others about Him confidently because we know Him, because we've spent time with Him and we're learning Him. And that's how it should be in a marriage. Marriage is, is a great picture. It's, it's, it's Christ and the church, His bride, and God has given us this man and woman picture of this covenant relationship that is the highest relationship we will know between two human beings on this planet. And it should be sacred. It should be holy. It should be treated as special and a covenant. But we have to do so by also remembering, hey, there's a person here. I need to learn to love them. I need to learn to, to, to honor them, to care for them, to lead them well, to to show them the value that I see in them, but more importantly, the value that I see in us together pursuing Christ, not just me getting my way. I think what we need to learn here is that no one person can satisfy you. If our expectation is that this person is supposed to meet all my needs and satisfy me, we're looking to the wrong source for satisfaction. It's not in your spouse. It's not in your children, it's not in your career, it's not in your friends, it's not in your hobbies, it's not in your skills. That's not what is to satisfy you. It's not in your bank account, it's not in uh, your retirement uh, fund. That's not what's supposed to satisfy and sustain you and, and to give you that sense of peace and security. No one person can satisfy you because you cannot put that expectation on another person. If you do, guess what? You're setting that person up to fail. You're putting them in a position that they cannot execute 100% at all time, meeting your expectation and doing everything perfectly and satisfying you. Nobody can do that. You are setting them up and yourself both up to fail. You cannot look to another person to do for your flesh what only Christ can do for your spirit. You have been given Christ. Christ is the one who satisfies. You and I deserve hell for our sin. You and I deserve hell for our selfishness, 
our self-righteousness, our rebellion towards God, but we don't get what we think we deserve or what Scripture even says we deserve. What do we get? We get grace. Grace is what we don't deserve. It's what we did not earn. And now we can walk after the Spirit. Now my eyes can shift. My heart's focus can shift to what I've been given. This type of focus will change what I think another person owes me. If I begin to focus on Jesus and walk after the Spirit and not gratify the flesh, now all of a sudden my eyes and my intentions and my hunger, my desires can now be shifted and focus on what is going to please God as I walk after the Spirit. And I can now see what I've actually been given. This type of focus is going to change what I think somebody owes me. This type of focus is going to change what I think somebody should do for me. Because now what's happening in my heart, I'm developing gratefulness, thankfulness. And now I, I have this heart of humility and gratitude. Because gratitude will change your attitude. And we know this is true because it rhymes. Romans 8 and verse 31, Paul goes on to say this, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's Christ who satisfies. Verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or coronavirus? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors in all these things through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, if you have not read Romans 8 before, man, I would encourage you to spend some time meditating and, and just soaking in and, 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 and hanging out in chapter 8. So powerful. You see, Jesus has already won the victory over the powers of hell. Jesus has already won the, the victory. So you are not a slave anymore. There is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. You will struggle with selfish desires, yes, Paul makes that very clear in Romans chapter 7 as he talks about this war between the flesh and the spirit and what we want to do and how we don't do it and how the things we want to do we're not doing. He talks about that. But when you set your minds on the things of the Spirit of God, you become thankful and gratitude for what Christ has done changes your expectation. When you become thankful and when you see Jesus is enough, all of a sudden you expect a lot different things from other people used to. You began to think everyone should treat you a certain way. You thought you were entitled. You thought you deserved certain things. But because of Christ, you found a new security. You found a new hope. You found a new source of peace because now 
You're living in the reality of walking in the Spirit and pleasing the Spirit of God by living by faith, because without faith it's impossible to please God. And as you're seeking Him, as you're getting to know Him, it's transforming you from the heart level, which is the core issue anyways. And so now you begin to look at your relationships differently. You begin to look at your spouse differently and what they should do and what they owe you. You begin to look at what your boss owes you differently or your ex-spouse or your children or your parents or uh, your brother or sister. You begin to look at what uh, that friend or family member that you had a bad deal, a deal gone bad and a bad situation that's caused a lot of tension in your life for years. You You all of a sudden are looking at that differently. You look at the church differently. What does the church owe you? What do those that you've served, those you've given of your time and your resources, what they owe you? You, All of a sudden you begin to look at things a lot differently. Now you're not looking at what you expect and what you think you deserve. You're just grateful that Christ has saved you from the grip of hell. You're grateful that Christ has forever sealed your eternity because He loves you and has given you His Spirit as a seal and as a promise, knowing that, man, even if I die here on this earth and I experience this, the short sting of death, the, it's, it's lost that forever sting and that victory because I'm victorious. Why? Because of something you did? No. That's the beauty of the gospel. It was nothing to do with you. It was nothing to do with me. It was all Christ. Christ saved us. Christ redeemed us. He did it all by himself. And now our job is to be in awe and thankful and grateful. Now all of a sudden I'm not even concerned about what other people owe me. That's how I can understand and comprehend where Jesus said, Oh, no man nothing but to love him. I don't want to owe anybody anything except to love them. Wow, I, I'm blown away. All these things have been harboring in my heart. All these things I've been angry about. All these things I've been disappointed in. I'm not going to hold on to those things anymore. All these, all these things I've allowed to come between my spouse and I because of these unmet expectations. And you begin to make your list of all the things you do in the home and all the things, how hard you work, how much time you spend, how difficult your tasks are, and you want to compare it to them to somehow exact some sort of dominance over them. And God says, no, it's, they don't owe you anything. You don't owe them anything. Don't, 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 don't see them after the flesh. Look after the Spirit. As you walk out to the Spirit, God, you've given me everything that I need. And now the things that I want to serve and do for my spouse and the way I love them, it comes from an attitude that is grateful for Christ first and foremost and then can see what they've been given in the gift of who our spouse is. And you can begin to love them for who they are instead of for who you want them to be. It's almost like sometimes we get so selfish and so focused on ourselves that we withhold love until people meet our expectations. We hold our, we kind of keep it held back until they hit our, our mark, our benchmark. And then when they hit our benchmark, well, then we'll give them love. We'll, we'll, but really what we're saying is we're loving ourselves because we're saying you're finally good enough for me. Folks, that's not how Jesus treats you or I. Jesus didn't say I'll die for you when you're good enough for me. I'll give you my life when you're good enough for me. No, Scripture says very clearly, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
You read Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 and you see the darkness of humanity. You see the wickedness of men. And at the right time, Scripture says, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you. He died for me at the right time because He's the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one who we can truly put our hope and our faith and our trust in. Gratitude for what Christ has done changes my expectation on other people. So my exhortation to you is going to be that you would grow together, that you would discuss things and that you would be able to reach agreements and compromises. Yes, still do that. Absolutely have those conversations. But when you come to a crossroads in your marriage, when, not if, when you come to a crossroads in your marriage, don't give in to demanding your own way. Because if you give in to demanding you have your own way, then what you're doing is you're allowing the enemy to have victory in your heart and your mind because you get so focused on your own expectation being met, and now it becomes about you, and you bring it all back to you. And if you've been through the Trek ministry, you've learned some things or, or, or a ministry similar to it like a Freedom Life Skills. If you've been through one of those, uh, those styles of ministries, you've learned something about expectations. That the further away that my expectations are from the reality of what's going on, the more heightened my response is going to be. So if I expect something to be reality, and I say, my spouse and I agree that the home's going to be clean when I get home today at 5 o'clock, and then I get home at 5 o'clock, and actually it's gotten worse, and the house is messier. Well, my expectations all of a sudden are very far removed from what is actually happening. And the more heightened that my expectations expectations are, and the more far removed they are from reality, the more heightened my response is going to be. And my response is going to be a negative response more than likely. Because why? Because my expectations weren't being met. So what do I have to do in that moment? I have to stop and I have to realize this is not about me. If I respond being far away from reality, I'm making it about me. So I've got to bring myself back down to reality. And sometimes that means I have to take some time to pray Sometimes that means I have to listen and actually hear, well, maybe there's some things that happened today that I could be compassionate about. Maybe there's some things that I don't understand or don't know yet because I'm making all these assumptions and I'm allowing myself to get angry. And then I'm pulling from my reserves of all of my pent-up anger and I'm bringing all that to the table at that time, which is the worst time to do that. But we do this all the time. I do this. Oh, man. I'm glad my wife is not here in the room uh, with me while I'm preaching this sermon, although she will probably be in the room with me when we're watching the service together. Ah, I didn't think about that. Anyways, I do this all the time, and we have a tendency to do this. And you know why we have a tendency to do this? Because we all can drift away from the message of the gospel. We can all drift right back into self. But when we focus on Christ, it changes things. You see, I don't want to give the enemy victory and make it all about me and focus on my expectations being met. Rather, we need to allow our heart to be focused on the gospel because the gospel brings about a heart of gratitude for what Christ has done, for who he is, for who I'm called to be, for what he's done in me. And it shifts my focus, man. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where the Apostle Paul, of course, speaking to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts and how love should be the focus of all spiritual gifts, he still gives a beautiful description 
of what love actually is as he defines for us how God sees love. And he says it this way, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 7 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. What a beautiful description of love. And if I tell my spouse that I love her, then I'm saying I want to be patient with you. If I tell my spouse I love her, I'm telling her I'm not going to envy. I'm not going to focus on what someone else has or what another relationship has and try to bring that expectation into our marriage. No, I'm, I'm not going to envy. If I tell my spouse I love her, I'm not going to boast. I'm not going to stick my chest out and tell her how great I am and what I've done and what she hasn't done. If I tell my spouse I love her, I'm not going to be arrogant. I'm, I'm not going to be rude. Oh, man. If I tell my spouse I love her, I'm not going to insist on my own way. I'm not going to be irritable, resentful, or rejoice in wrongdoing, but I'll rejoice in the truth. And with her, I'll bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things because I'm, I'm loving her and I want to love her as Christ loved the church, as Ephesians says, where I give myself for her. And we're not perfect at this. We don't always get it right. You're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. I will probably mess up in between the time that I've preached this sermon and the time that this sermon actually plays. <laughs> but that's where we have to love one another, be patient with one another, give grace to one another, forgive each other, and most important of all, pursue Christ. Pursue Him. Get to know Him through His Word. Spend time in the Word with our spouse. Spend time praying together with our spouse. Spend time making Jesus the center of our lives and in everything that we do and reminding ourselves daily of the gospel. It will change the orientation of our heart. And now I have a choice set before me, life, death. I have a choice set before me, walk after the spirit, walk after the flesh. I have a choice set before me. Am I going to honor God and, and, and do what pleases him and walk this thing out? Or am I going to gratify my flesh and be more focused on myself and give place to the enemy? Over and over again, you have these options. You have these opportunities. And so today I want to encourage you to walk after the Spirit and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, gratifying the flesh. Set your expectations instead of on yourself and on fairy tales. Set your expectations and your eyes towards Christ and let Him reset your heart and your expectation. Because remember, this is really a need for a heart change and this is a need for my mind to be renewed, to think in line with what will honor and please God so that I can love my spouse as Christ loved the church, so I can serve my spouse in a God-honoring way, so I can walk together in unity with my spouse in a way that shows others the gospel and that makes my spouse feel valued and loved and shows them Christ. So Lord, help us do this. We can't do this on our own. We're not strong enough in our in our own abilities. So we lean into you 
Spirit of God that dwells within us, Christ in me, the hope of glory, we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on the gospel, that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray in Jesus' name that you will help us to see truth, that you will help our expectations to be uh, set in such a way, Lord, where it's not about us, but Lord, it's about you and honoring you. Help us to repent, first and foremost, Lord, to you, and then secondly, to our spouse of any wrongdoing, of any words that have been shared or things that have been said that haven't been dealt with, that have hurt one another's heart. Help us to walk in unity. I pray marriages will be strengthened as a result of this. And I pray, Father, that your spirit, Lord, would just grab people in such a real way where you would forever make an impact and a change in the way they think, in the way that they treat one another, in the way they live their lives to glorify and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Before we go our separate ways, number 6 and 24 says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless your word of grace. I love you. Be blessed.